This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today I'm super excited. We've got Quad Reels Head of Research and Strategy, Sean Gilligan, joining us today. These guys are global. Sean focuses on Canada. Man, out of Toronto, knows a lot about Vancouver, though, and it's a it's a great conversation. Super bright guy. The best part about having uh, Sean on is we had this really optimistic, uplifting conversation, and then he said, I'm kind of the curmudgeon around the office. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I was going to say, he's like, I pour, I pour cold water on everything. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm hmm. the dark, stormy cloud. I want to see the rest of this. This office. No then. kidding. What a uh, what a what a culture. <laughs> but anyways, we're super excited for our episode today with Sean. Um, we talk about everything. We talk about the Vancouver market, the Canadian economy. Uh, we talk about real estate all over his favorite regions. What he thinks the market is going to do. And um, yeah, this is a guy who's deep into the weeds, looking at uh, research and strategy for really a, a company that um, is investing massive, massive massive amounts of money. Yeah, and so I mean the buck stops. I would argue at Sean Gilligan no in a kidding. lot of ways. No kidding. Uh, for their Canadian real estate. And, and that's and that's why it is so great having him on. And uh he's a big fan of Vancouver. Yeah. I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say. I, exactly, for sure. So it's great episode today. Before we cut to that, Matt, one thing we gotta mention is of course we are sponsored by Oakwind Realty. That's right, Oakwind Realty, our brokerage. Head over to Oakwind.com slash join, type in VRP twenty twenty. This is of course for Real estate agents, new agents, aspiring agents, people right. just looking to make a change. The culture over at Oakland is phenomenal. 
oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. And uh, I feel like 2020 is not the year to actually <laughs> stick with. Uh, every time I mention 2020, it's like I feel worse about you, you everything. Feel, yeah, yeah. Just type in 2021 and see what happens. Yeah, Maybe you'll still somebody... get the you'll get the huge surprise or incentive that they, that yeah. they're offering. But really, as we say, the real incentive is to sit down with Morgan and Michael and the gang. Fantastic people over at Oakland. Yeah, for sure. And Matt, we should, you know, we usually do a pretty long intro, but today's episode, we actually went long. We run we, long. We, we run long. Yeah. And, and the reason is because this is just such a fascinating conversation. I remember we could have actually ran a lot longer, but we were conscious of Sean's time. Uh, I think we're about an hour interview today. So it's a great conversation. So maybe let's just hit a few key points before we head into the talk with Sean. Sure. First off, we are hiring. That yes. is the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast and Scalene Real Estate. If you are an agent, new agent, uh, old agent, looking to join a dynamic, fun environment and team, sure. send a resume over to info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We'd yeah. love to hear from you. We've got some great people that have reached out, and we will be making a decision shortly. So definitely send that email, uh, info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, and share it with a friend if you know anyone who's got licensed recently or who's in the business who might be wanting to make a change, definitely share this uh, tidbit with a friend. Second, we have a listing incentive. We do. This incentive is for yourself if you're looking to sell. It's also for friends and family. Everybody wins. The spring market is basically upon us. It feels like it's, we're at a fever pitch here. We are I don't know if it gets busier. Does it? Can it? Can I don't it know. get busier? But we do have a listing incentive. This is 2021 spring listing incentive. Info at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast to learn more. The promo code on the live wire is Powerwalker2021. And last but not least, we do have our Sellers Club. Yeah, Matt, Sellers Club is where you get top dollar in the shortest amount of time using the best resources that are actually penned by myself and That's you. Right. Uh, so these are some great resources. If you're looking at getting your place in shape, this is an action plan, really. It's a step-by-step -step action plan for how to get your place in shape and ready for the market. And SOLD stands for start on launch date. So really, you pick the launch date and you work your way backwards with a step-by-step -step plan. And uh, Volume 2 is, is available as well. So get in touch if you're interested in the SOLD plan or in any other resources. It's time to join the Sellers Club. You know what? And here's what I would do, Adam. If I, I'm just thinking out loud here. Yeah. If I was thinking of selling this spring summer, even fall, I would first sign up for the Sellers Club, get those excellent resources, and then I would take advantage of this listing incentive. Exactly. Work it, with the best, get top dollar. Exactly. It is a good time to be a seller, so do get in touch. And without further ado, Matt, let's cut to our interview with Sean Gilligan. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Sean Gilligan. He is the Associate Research and Strategy at Quadreal. He also heads up the Canadian portfolio for Quadreal. How are you doing, Sean? I'm great, thanks. Thank you both for having me here today. Uh, excited to be here. Yeah, virtually. Thank, th thanks. <laughs> yeah. thanks so much uh, for taking the time today, Sean. Uh, can, can you maybe start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. So, you know, as, as you'd mentioned, I, I head up the research and strategy for Canada uh, within Quadrille. Um, I've been here since you know, almost the beginning of Quadrille for about four years now. Uh, and you know, myself, my background, my education and, and other experience, real estate has always been 
uh, a major interest of, of, of mine. Um, you know, during my undergrad, the ability in studying economics, urban planning, other fields, your know, real estate was always a very uh, practical application of so much that you that you learn within school, where much of um, broader subjects based in theory, real estate is such a great way to apply so much of, of of what you learn. And early on, it was something that I wanted to gain more experience from an academic perspective. And I started off uh, a, a while back now working at an institute at uh, University of Toronto, the, the Martin Prosperity Institute, with uh, with Richard Florida, who, if, if you're familiar, has written the, the Creative Class books, right. um, and, and a bunch of other fellows there as well. And, and, and the ability there, from an academic perspective, to work on what are the macro drivers that fuel innovation, productivity growth, whether that is you know, a, a new mega project within one city, or whether that is, you know, a firm choosing to locate in one region versus another and why all of these broader trends that intersect well with real estate uh, were of high interest to me in, in my early on. And since then, I've, I've continued to, uh, you know, remain within real estate and, and now with Quadrille for, for the past four years. Yeah, it's interesting. It sounds like we, we've been doing the podcast maybe a little bit longer than you've been at Quadrille, but Adam and I both sold real estate before. But the podcast is really, I think, one of the big kind of things that led me to realize is that uh, in, in, in having a show called Vancouver Real Estate Podcast, you can actually almost talk about anything. Like, really, we have people on <laughs> talking about, you know, cities generally, urban planning, economics. Like, it's just, it's like a path into how people live and organize societies, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah, it, you know, exactly. And one of the major theories that, that I'm sure we're all aware with in, in economics of, of human capital and educational attainment with within your labor force is you know instrumental to all assets of of real estate. You know, I find it something that we talk about all the time, whether it's attracting talent from elsewhere or developing talent from a regional perspective throughout the university system, what impact that has on overall economic growth, on wage growth, firm starts, and then that you know fuels down to housing market dynamics, the commercial market, of course, you know, direct through office space or through demand for industrial space based on consumption. And it all from that, that macro perspective really flows down to, to our, our, our day-to-day in real estate. Uh, yeah, I think we'd love to get to some of those macro perspectives too when we talk about how, how you guys are at Quadreal are, are analyzing deals. But maybe a, a, just to, to let our listeners learn a little bit more about Quadreal, can you talk about, first of all, what Quadreal uh, does and, and where you guys are most active? For sure, definitely. Uh, so you know, Quadreal manages the, the real estate and mortgage programs of, of BCI, which, which of course you know, provides investment management to BC's public sector. Today, we also manage real estate uh, on behalf of RBC Global Asset Management. Um, our portfolio at, at Quadrio is, is international and involves development, um, our existing properties, asset management, and it's across you know, all of the asset classes from office, industrial, multifamily to uh, land lease uh, communities as well. 
And so Quadrial being you know, one of the, the largest owners and operators of, of real estate in Canada and, and globally uh, has a very big footprint across the country and, and internationally, as I'd mentioned, but being headquartered in BC and, and being a part of BCI, BC, Vancouver in general is, is a very big, uh, composes a very big portion of, of Quadrio's portfolio and, uh, and our day-to-day. You know, just thinking, I know, Sean, you head up the Canada component of Quadrille's portfolio uh, in terms of the, the research component, at least. Um, I, I'm just thinking about if, well, this is just a thought. Do you have any thoughts on, on how Canadian real estate and maybe residential real estate, which has done so well over the last, you know, 2008 was just kind of a minor blip and we've had a, had a really strong run for a really long time, how it's kind of compared to, to real estate more globally and, and what the differences are. Sure. You know, I, I will, I will confess that my, my, my main expertise, of course, within Canada might come off uh, as a bit, as a bit of a bias. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of, of Canadian real estate markets and, the overall stability uh, that 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 provides, and you know, you referenced the GFC, and if we look at your Canadian real estate market performance during the GFC and and post, risk adjusted returns across all of the asset classes have been uh, have been have been fantastic, and you know, when we look at Canada's overall econo- economy, our institutions, and the relative stability um, and demand to not only own and operate and rent real estate within Canada, but, you know, to locate your business within Canada is a big positive for any real estate investor, knowing that not only do we have a foothold of substantial firms within Canada, but Amazon and many other firms from, from other parts of the world are choosing, choosing to locate in Canada uh, from a beneficial perspective to their business. So from a, a real estate owner and operator uh, looking at Canada and its relative stability and its growth profile post GFC, you know, really leading the G7 and a lot of other con- countries in terms of population growth, it's 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 a positive when we think of all those macro demand drivers for you know wanting to own and operate uh, real estate from a long term perspective in in Canada. Right on, and and just for uh, our listeners, GFC Global Financial Crisis. Yes, yes. I'll try to keep the acronyms to a minimum. <laughs> <laughs> um, so maybe maybe we can talk about a little bit uh, fleshing out the idea about Canadian real estate. Why why you love it so much? Can we can we talk just about like maybe the attributes of Canadian real estate that that make you such a fan? Definitely. You know when we when we look across the country, um, as I've mentioned before, the growth profile that's taken place in Toronto, Vancouver, and, and some of our other major metropolitan areas, uh, the employment growth, the population growth, the individuals with a, a bachelor's degree and above, college certificate, et cetera, you know, we, we rank really highly on all of those uh, economic indicators. But then what we're really seeing during the pandemic, some of the softer indicators that, that fuel demand, such as livability, uh, quality of institutions, public and private, you know, makes you feel really comfortable in terms of your continued uh, investment and growth within the Canadian markets, whether that's from a 
commercial or or residential perspective. Um, in a in a pandemic, it, it might be hard to take a step back and think to you know 2019, 2018, and we look at even Calgary, Vancouver, Toronto. When we look at global livability indexes, educational attainment drivers like that of the overall economy that once again flow through to real estate, very positive uh, across the board in our in our major Canadian markets. Right on. Maybe thinking more about COVID here, have you been surprised, as almost every guest uh, we've had on in the last year, but has been, uh, but have you been surprised by the real estate market since COVID? And, and how has Quadrille pivoted, if at all? Well, you know, as, as you mentioned, me along with any other guests, you know, the, the nature of this pandemic and, and recession would come as a surprise to anyone. No, there's there's no way this was this was predicted for the previous year, and so right off the bat, this is a surprise, and everything that we're going through is 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 uh, you know uncertain in in the nature of the pandemic itself. But in terms of the resilience, especially across certain asset classes, and I you know I don't want to just pick and choose, but I I will in this instance, uh, you know, in the industrial market specifically. The housing market, as we've mentioned, but you know the industrial market specifically, this was a segment of the market where there was high conviction pre-COVID, and a lot of the question going uh, at the very beginning of the pandemic was would demand for industrial space uh, continue across the country, and the resilience of that sector and some of the others as well, but that one specifically, if I'm just choosing one, you know, I think has also. Um, come as a surprise to many. It, it 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 hasn't for us. We're strong believers of high conviction within the industrial seg- uh, segment itself. So you know, I would say that's that's definitely something that has uh, top of mind during the pandemic. And in terms of Quadrille specifically and 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 pivoting, you know, I would say I personally and, and we have extremely strong conviction not only within Canada. But metropolitan areas. I know a lot of the conversation uh, in, the, in the news media over the past little while has been: Is there a potential flight to other markets, to tertiary markets, to secondary markets? You know, from my perspective, I would say that view, that strategy on our major metropolitan areas, continuing to be the economic growth centers going forward, that has not been a pivot that you often read of late. So, so just so I understand, uh, you're, it sounds like Quadrille's betting on cities. I will say that I personally, to you know, put my right. <laughs> put my personal name in the in the pot. But but yes, yes, uh, overall and and myself, yes, betting betting on cities. And we pre COVID, whether it was at Quadrille or, or some of the experience that I'd mentioned previously. Now, the work looking at cities across the world and their economic growth profile and the almost arms race of tertiary and secondary cities trying to expand startup growth, trying to expand patents per capita, productivity growth, firms from other regions. You know, this was something that economic development groups were spending a lot of time and effort on. And in many instances, when we look at Vancouver, Toronto, and some of the other world cities, they were just increasing their overall share 
of GDP, patents per capita, et cetera, because of the overall benefit to similar and complementary firms locating in a close geography. So from that perspective, yes, I'm definitely uh, continuing to, to, to bet on cities. So we've seen, uh, Sean, a, a tremendous growth in the benchmark prices in a lot of these secondary cities just over the past year. First, I guess, in thinking of that, are some of these markets slightly vulnerable then moving forward? Personally, I wouldn't say vulnerable is is, uh, is a characteristic of it. You know, we it's not necessarily subtractive, in, in my opinion. There is some opportunity in secondary market Kelowna, for example, uh, Ottawa, some of the other markets that when you look at the, the, the benchmark pricing really leading the pack, you know, I, I don't believe that the growth within those markets has been subtractive of Vancouver, Toronto, mm-hmm. and that it has been fueled by speculation. Right. Um, we think of Toronto, Vancouver, pre-COVID as severely undersupplied in some instances. So some of the demand going to other regions that have their own economic drivers, characteristics, Ottawa and Kelowna being examples, I would not, you know, I would not classify that as uh, high risk speculation in, in, in my opinion. That's, that's a good point. And in thinking about places like downtown Toronto or downtown Vancouver more specifically, you know, we just got the, the rental reports for the last month and it looks like, you know, one bedroom condos, Vancouver leads the country in terms of, of how high the rent is, but it's considerably down. Based on what you're saying, my guess is you're thinking this is kind of a, a COVID blip, but downtowns are going to come roaring back. Yes, I I would I would definitely agree with that point. You know, the impact on the demand side with slowdown of immigration, international students, the closure of many of the amenities within our cores, specifically office buildings. These are these are short term impacts, in my opinion, a cyclical impacts, not structural long-term, in my opinion. And there are many reasons, many attributes why individuals chose to rent downtown. And you know, we can we can go over many of them, but people placed a high level of, of utility and, and willingness to pay to be within a short distance to their workspace, to be within a short distance to uh, amenities that they place high value on. And by, by no means, in, in my opinion, do I believe that all of a sudden a structural shift has taken place in which individuals no longer value those things that, that they did previously? It's right. the cyclical impacts, in my opinion. In, in thinking of, of some of the cyclical impacts, has there, has there been any new opportunities that have emerged in the past year, in your opinion? Well, you know, from a from an investment perspective and from um, an, an operating perspective, I've, I think there has been. Um, from a, an investment perspective, I, I alluded to it earlier, uh, the industrial market and demand for industrial space, whether that's leasing industrial space, industrial condos, really anything, has been an opportunity that has only expanded. Uh, when we take a perspective of BC and we look at Port volume, demand for goods, demands for industrial space, 
specifically uh, through a pandemic and the resiliency of that market, you know, in my opinion, that opportunity that was already there previously has just been further cemented, in my opinion. From an operating perspective, which, which of course is important to us and important to me, from a research perspective, the ability to provide a high quality of service from, from a landlord perspective, whether that's air quality within your buildings, flexibility of working with tenants across retail, office, residential, to, you know, to meet their changing needs. And if something as simple as in our residential buildings, we quickly instituted uh, extra storage for goods purchased online to quickly adapt to the pandemic. And in you know, my opinion, going forward, that is one change, the demand for you know, a high level of, of service from uh, operators is, is something that that willingness to pay for that is, is, is going to be enhanced in a, in a post-COVID world. Thinking about, so we've talked a lot about, or some about opportunities and asset classes that are, are have done very well over the last year. What what about losers? Like, is there is is it all cyclical? Is there uh, are there property types that you're thinking? Okay, actually, there was a slow decline before, but COVID was a steroid kick here, and uh, and it's a dead issue now. <laughs> there there are a few that are constantly discussed in in the news and I I wouldn't want to belabor the point but you know I would I would say of course some of the impacts that are taking place to the the retail segment you know cannot be ignored and the impact to small businesses especially within you know many of the retail tenants themselves that impact has been unfortunately noticeable over covid and so you know when you think of tertiary, secondary markets in which there might have been an excess supply of retail space pre-pandemic, the adoption and shift to online sales, not just by the e-commerce operators themselves, but by many retailers who've had to adjust and shift to omni-channel solutions, you know, markets that are looking at excess retail supply, uh, in my opinion, are going to be challenged uh, going forward. By no means, you know, Vancouver, you could make the argument pre-COVID, very well supply-demand conditions in, in the retail market. It's when you look at some of the secondary and tertiary markets in Canada and the U.S., you see a lot of the stats of some malls going dark, excess supply within the retail segment that you know, that's one that that, that definitely um, jumps to the top of mind. Maybe shifting gears a little bit, uh, Sean. What are some of the key factors that you are looking at in analyzing real estate markets in your role? <laughs> well, you know, I'm, as I alluded to earlier, macroeconomic conditions, and in, in in my opinion, from the very beginning, impact all real estate to varying degrees. Some of these indicators are lagged and, and, and may take a while to flow through to what we're seeing on the ground from a macro perspective. But the things such as overall productivity growth, is your relative economy increasing its output per hour work, becoming more efficient, increasing its overall you know, GDP per hour work, fueling innovative growth? 
Are we seeing expansion in firm starts, uh, patent starts, patents per capita? Some of these leading indicators that might push us to think there's going to be you know, further economic growth down the road that, that, that fuels through everything. But you know, from a very basic perspective, population growth and employment growth, I will always come back to you know, as two of the macro factors that are most important. And of course, as we look at the, the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic, when do we reach pre-pandemic levels of employment? When do we start to increase employment within certain industries over the next year, two years? And when does our population growth profile, I'm, I'm sure for, for both of you and, and everyone listening, Canada's population growth being a substantial fueler of our overall economic growth and of the real estate sector, you know, when do we return to those targets that the government of Canada has set out for the next three to five years? You know, and this might be outside of your role and and what you're looking at, Sean, but just out of curiosity, you know, we've talked a lot about cities and global cities and Vancouver as a global city on this show. But I'm I'm just wondering, like, you know, apart from the kind of regular indicators we look at when analyzing a market, it, it strikes me as you're looking at kind of that slightly higher level, like patents, you know, the arms race towards being attractive to startups and things like that. Do you see certain cities, like, is it policy that's driving that? Or is it, you know, we often talk about natural beauty and things like that, livability. But is it, are you seeing, like, specific policies that seem to be working for Canadian cities like, say, Vancouver or Toronto, and even places like Kelowna? Or is that just outside of what you're what you're looking at? Well, you, you know, that is outside of, 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 of what I look at from the perspective of, Things can change so often, and of course, policy has a huge impact on on all of the things that you had mentioned. And so, definitely try to stay uh, abreast of, of of all the policy decisions from a municipal, provincial, and federal level that that impact everything um, that I had mentioned. And 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 yes, some of them do have uh, an impact on the ability to attract and retain talent within specific regions, but it's, it's, it's less of, um, less of the focus from, from my perspective, but, uh, you know, we think of policy decisions that help, uh, increase the supply of housing. That's just one example that I would point to in terms of when looking at Vancouver and Toronto specifically, allowing for the continued, uh, growth within those two regions, adequate housing supply and you know, creating a favorable environment in which more rental supply, more uh, home ownership supply is added to the market is definitely something that you know, I, I, I look at it at a day-to-day and is very, uh, very important in my opinion. Sean, what areas in the lower mainland are you most excited about? Um, and are there, are there places outside of Vancouver, like secondary markets in, in BC that you're excited about? Well, you know, over the entire greater Vancouver area, I, I would say, in my opinion, very positive multifamily rental, office, industrial, uh, and, and, and the retail market. I, I have, a, have a positive view uh, within the suburbs and with the city of, of, of Vancouver specifically. Um, you know, I would point to Burnaby, Coquitlam, North Vancouver, Specifically, markets where we're active, 
uh, in which you know I, I personally see the growth trajectory of of some of these suburban markets as well uh, continuing to be substantial. You know, I'd, I'd alluded to population growth previously. Uh, those places, and, and I'll just pick up Burnaby specifically. These are areas that have been homes for the past five to 10 years for a, a noticeable number of, of newcomers to Canada, businesses, et cetera. And, you know, sometimes they get lumped in to the overall suburbs, but the population growth that's taking place within many of these suburban communities, just the few that I've mentioned has, and, you know, in my opinion, will, will continue to be uh, noticeable. And then you know, outside of, 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 of Vancouver itself, uh, Kelowna for sure, the GTA, Toronto, and, and, and Toronto's suburbs. Uh, I, I personally am I'm very positive in the growth profile of those regions specifically. Um, Kelowna being obviously different than both Vancouver and Toronto, I do believe that there's an opportunity for lifestyle communities within markets such as Kelowna as you know we're all kind of waiting with bated breath for what are the the baby boomers going to do, where are they going to go, et cetera. And I think particularly to our land lease segment and the opportunities that that you know that we have in Kelowna for lifestyle communities, um, people looking to move or grow within particular markets that aren't Vancouver from a from a BC perspective. Um, very, very positive on Kelowna as well. You know, we, we've had this conversation on, on the show quite a bit um, about this idea that right now it feels like our market's at like a fever pitch. The last few weeks, you know, you can almost just see it in buyers' faces, the stress. I, it's almost like stress is in everybody's face and voice, whether they're an agent, <laughs> uh, a seller feeling like they left money on the table, uh, a buyer who's written on, you know, seven or eight different properties and has lost out. And when we have these conversations across Canada, generally speaking with other agents or, or economists or people like yourself, that, that's the sentiment that, you know, every market is, is on fire right now across Canada. A lot of people are saying that interest rates are not going to be um, going up any, in the foreseeable future. I guess we're just trying to wonder, like, how does this play out? Like, how, how does this continue on? And in thinking about risk to, you know, people that are, are buying right now or to the markets in Vancouver and Canadian real estate in general, what are the biggest risks in your opinion or are there any? And is this current run sustainable? Well, you know, I'll, I'll push it back to both of you after you know, to, to, to get your perspective what you're what you're hearing. Matt just hearing left the room. The yeah. <laughs> Got to get a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because in my opinion, so much of it rests in that you know, in that micro perspective in terms of what you know, buyers are willing and and and, and able to pay and what they value in terms of their home and the neighborhood that they want to be in and the type of product, et cetera. And, and you know, in my opinion, so much of that choice would be the, the conversations I assume both of you have in terms of what attributes are you looking for, what's your willingness to pay, and you know, making it work within that realm. When I look at it from a, from a macro perspective, you know, we think of household debt to income, household debt to GDP and what potential drag could that have 
on the economy going forward. And so that's something to, to keep an eye on, not a risk of a market crash, but what potential drag could there be, if, if any, with individuals putting so much of their income in quote-unquote mortgages versus the ability to, to, to spend elsewhere. That's one risk that I would continue to, to look at. Um, and, and then, you know, I alluded to it earlier, and I wouldn't say it's necessarily a market risk, but from an overall economic perspective, once again, if and when, and I believe it will, if and when Vancouver returns to that trajectory of annual employment growth, annual population growth that was taking place pre-COVID, the risk that always exists is affordability and the challenge of supply. And to continue to bring in and attract and develop the, the best and the brightest within your economy, housing and housing affordability, whether it's rental or home ownership, is of utmost importance. So in my opinion, I agree with the comment about uh, interest rates for the for the foreseeable future and the support that the government has and will continue to put into the housing market. And so I don't foresee, you know, a, a, a crash, if you want to think of that from a particular risk. My, my risks are, let's look at the overall economic conditions of Vancouver going forward that fuel down to the different asset classes that we invest in and what risks do the housing market and the amount of income put to rent or put to the mortgage, how does that impact the, you know, the, the broader economy, in my perspective? It's interesting because I've had this conversation a number of times in the last few weeks where essentially people are people that are bullish on the market seem to be seeing, well, we'll wait until the borders open and um, you know immigration is going to increase and BC is going to get a lot of newcomers to Canada. It sounds like what you're saying, though, is if, if prices get too detached from incomes, uh, et cetera, that, that might have the opposite effect for BC getting newcomers to Canada. It, you know, it, it would be a risk that you definitely want to want to keep an eye on. You know, we, we look at the past five years of 20 to 30,000 uh, newcomers annually to the greater Vancouver area. If you're building you know, one-to-one new households and prices are pushing beyond local income thresholds, beyond economic activity, total, total GDP within a region, that's something that you would want to consider uh, as a potential concern or risk. But the caveat being, you know, and, and both of you can probably attest to it better than I can here in Toronto, BC and Canada in general, but BC's handling of the pandemic and the ability to flatten the curve, the ability to reopen in, in many instances and, and not institute some of the lockdown measures that we've seen globally. What are you willing to pay to locate in a region like that? So I, I agree that it's a risk going forward, but when we think of those demand drivers that would bring someone to a region, job availability, quality of schools, quality of, of, of life overall, you know, what is somebody willing to, to, to pay? And I think for BC's perspective, affordability is a concern, but in my opinion, it's standing internationally to continue to attract people. 
has been extremely positive. Um, but of course, both of both of you physically being in in BC can probably give me a a, a better perspective of of how things have gone. But from an you know from a a, a view here in, in Toronto, you know, there, there's that's got to be worth something, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. That's that's interesting. Um... Well, since since the the NDP has come in, they've done a few things that seem significant. One is the handling of the COVID crisis, and Dr. Bonnie Henry. I think you're right. Like everybody's everybody's pretty happy with that. Um, on the housing front, though, like it does seem interesting that there's been all sorts of trying to crush demand, right? Like all sorts of policies that seem to now looking at what's going on in the market currently. And the sort of minor blip in 2018 and 2019 where the market slowed down. But in hindsight, that looks less about, say, the BC speculation tax or the empty homes tax at the city level or what have you. And more about kind of interest rates potentially increasing. Like it does feel like, you know, and we haven't talked about this risk, but that there's no more bullets in the gun from that municipal or provincial level to kind of try and uh, stop the run that we're potentially on now. And it just seems like it's, I don't know, in some ways it's kind of, and I'm just thinking out loud here, it's like, a, where does this, where does this end, right? Because uh, I thought at the end of 2017, I was like, wow, that was a, that was a crazy couple of years. Um, that was probably a once in a generation type run. And now it feels like we're getting back on that escalator. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, it's just kind of putting it out there more so well, than anything else. And, and I would say like, Sean, it sounds like you, like you're pointing at, at supply, right? Enforcing affordable housing or, or some component of or that. Or just more door. Yeah. More places to live. Not to speak for you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, I, I I would agree, and you know, from 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 your perspective and and what you're seeing on the ground, we've seen a large chunk of the run-up in pricing in Toronto and Vancouver, uh, with a substantial amount of transactions taking place in the detached market, in the suburbs, and pulling up that you know broader price average and you know of course when you look at the composite average adjusting for some of that but when you look at the type of product that's fueling a lot of the year over year price growth as as you've mentioned it you know my my comment back to, to to both of you in terms of that supply demand imbalance is are you seeing any slowdown in the number of individuals that are you know calling you and and, and asking for a specific type of product that in many instances, we look at Surrey, Burnaby, Coquitlam from a detached perspective might have been viewed as as more affordable, but it, it seems as if that demand for that type of product currently um, in a low interest rate environment where the, you know, the government has provided that support, where the demand for that type of product specifically does not meet supply. Exactly. No, there's a huge appetite. And I and I think now we're seeing condos picking up again. Uh, I don't know if you are in in the GTA seeing condos because I, I know condos specifically in Toronto were quite soft, if I understand correctly, uh, at least about six months ago. But I this must I mean in thinking of asset classes, in thinking about cities like Toronto, like we often have talked about New York as being a city uh, in many cases full of people that rent and they'll rent for their entire lifetime. 
do you see Toronto and Vancouver moving to those kinds of markets where the idea of ownership or a home ownership might be gone for a lot of people in the in the not so distant and, future? And just not to cut you off, Adam, but and I was just thinking about this, and I, actually we talked about this the other night. But the idea that COVID and the K-shaped recovery, where there's kind of huge winners working from home, and you know savings increasing and things like that, and then there's there's pretty big losers as well. Like it seems like COVID, if anything, has kind of quickened that trajectory right. towards kind of the property owners and and have-nots that it's just outside the realm of the possible entirely. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And, and you know, to, to, to both of those questions, and, and, and so the first one, yes, I, I do believe we're already there from a, a perspective of, of Toronto and Vancouver, where um, A, on one side, there are you know, a number of individuals that uh, renting is going to be their their choice. We look at income dynamics and the ability for a large segment of, of the population based on their income to be able to afford a home is challenged within the two markets. Uh, outside of that, similarly to a New York, a London, and some of the other global cities in which you have substantial uh, firms locating, global firms locating, local firms, et cetera, there is also a large swath of the population that, that choose to rent as well. You know, so I, I don't think that either of those segments within Toronto and Vancouver specifically um, should be should be discounted. Uh, I think that both are substantial, and both are going to grow going forward as as the cities grow. You're going to have a split of of the people that are forced to rent, and then the individuals that 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 choose to rent. And for all those things that I mentioned before, leave them to choose to rent in a particular uh, neighborhood is 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 going to remain a part of both uh, both of the metropolitan areas. Um, and you know, the second part of it in in terms of the the K-shaped recovery, and and I quote joke. Uh, I, I joke with our our folks internally that they're running out of letters in the alphabet to, <laughs> to characterize this particular recession. And I promised I wouldn't use another one uh, today. Um, I'll use a shape instead. Uh, you know, the square root recession was one that <laughs> resonated with me from from the beginning. Uh, but you know, I I I agree. One of one of the things not lost in in this recession is the impact on many industries within a physical nature to your comment about don't have the ability to work from home because the job is physical in nature. And in many instances, but not all, in many instances, those are and have been traditionally uh, lower wage industries. I will say all of them, whether it's entertainment, tourism, uh, essential services or other, warehousing, et cetera, those are all very, very, very important services to, to the economy. And so I understand that some industries have regained to pre-COVID levels or surpassed and that you know, they make up a greater contribution of GDP. But these other industries that provide very important amenities to our downtown cores for visitors, for office workers, for et cetera, et cetera. These are very important parts of the economy. And the ability for those jobs to be 
reabsorbed that quote-unquote slack to be reabsorbed in Vancouver and Toronto specifically, reabsorbed in those economies. And the challenges going forward as it pertains to affordability are very important topics, in my opinion. You know, we look at the restaurants and other services that have been impacted within downtown Vancouver specifically. These are, you know, these are very important for the long term, in, in, in my opinion. Right. So I know a lot of our, our listeners are, uh, you know, mom and pop investors, and uh, they're, they're listening to this for a variety of reasons, because uh, they're interested in real estate and in Canadian real estate and real estate in BC. But a lot of them are wondering kind of where the money's flowing and, and where the investment opportunities are, Sean. And in your opinion, this is maybe a tough question, but what would you buy? <laughs> and uh, and maybe we can kind of talk about maybe BC and and maybe Canadian real estate overall, if you have an, an area that you're kind of most excited about or uh, uh, an asset class that you're most excited about. Sure. So, you know, I'll, I'll keep that lens of, uh, you know, your, your comment of, of, of mom and pop investors. And as I said at the beginning, uh, I I personally, even though I can often come off as a glass half empty individual, uh, <laughs> trying to take take the positive view in, in many instances. And as I'd said before, our cities and our, our larger metropolitan areas and Vancouver, of course, being one from a geographic perspective, long term, I'm a big believer. And so personally, for a mom and pop investor, I would look to those major markets, in my opinion. So from a geographic perspective, and then, you know, breaking it down a bit more, not to give the dry research person answer, but, you know, within the condo market or the residential market specifically, in my opinion, it always comes down to local fundamentals. So local fundamentals in terms of the rental rate that you can charge if it's an investment property versus your carrying costs or the local income dynamics of the individuals in the area and, you know, a bit of what we talked about previously and, uh, you know, the ability to pay, absorb rent at a certain level, depending on what product you're buying and depending on where it is in Vancouver and what, you know, what the purchase price is, obviously the, the, the rent that you're going to be able to charge to the market could, could vary depending on the product, depending on the sub market, and so those local fundamentals of rent to carrying and, and and local income dynamics is where I would you know go within those broader regions of, of conviction. Um, and then you know if I had a bit more up the up the scale of uh, transaction volume, if I if I wanted to look outside of residential and and, and, and to something else, you know I'd said from the beginning I'm a big believer of the fundamentals surrounding the industrial market. And as we know in Vancouver and across the country, uh, industrial condos and industrial strata has been a bigger investment opportunity for mom and pop individuals, whether it's an investment property or to own and operate within their own business. Um, right. So those would be my my two suggestions. And And outside of Vancouver, do you have a like a city you're excited about? Is it Toronto, or is there another yeah. region? London, <laughs> <laughs> to, to Toronto, <laughs> Toronto, and you know, similarly to to other global cities, we look at Mississauga, 
Brampton, some of the municipalities within the greater Toronto area, uh, these have become top cities in their own right. And, you know, they're going to near and have, you know, are nearing a million in terms of their total population, their noticeable draws for individuals, for firms, whether locally or internationally. And so, you know, in, in my opinion, the, Toronto, the GTA, and, and, you know, looking, which a lot of individuals have, looking to some of the suburbs, Markham, Richmond Hill, and you know, Mississauga, Brampton, ones that I've mentioned, I, I, I personally believe, Vaughn as well, I personally believe that uh, there's, there's, there's plenty of, of opportunity within, within those sub-markets as well uh, going forward and in a low interest rate environment. <laughs> right, right. No, it, this reminds me actually more so than anything. We talked to the the, the chief planner of the of the city of Vancouver, like this was pre-COVID, Gil Kelly, um, and his comment about the future cities were like, we're just getting started in terms of, you know, winners and losers. Like, you know, uh, and it sounds like this, this conversation <laughs> somehow somewhat reminds me of that. And it's funny because over the last year, I feel like we've talked a lot about you know, the opposite. Yes, people leaving and everything else. And this is, uh, Sean, you strike me as a guy who's half half full here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in terms of <laughs> your glass. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure that's that's probably what it will will come off as. And uh, any of my colleagues that that listen, they'll they'll probably shake their head and say, well, you know, why doesn't that more of that take place more often? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I'm not downplaying risks with within the economy, and of course, I'd I'd mentioned some and our, our our challenge of our productivity growth, our our lagging productivity growth within Canada in some regards, and and household debt are are risks that that I would outline. But from the perspective of, of cities, and as I said, I, I, I go back to my work previously. A lot of these institutions, whether it's research universities, existing firms, human capital, et cetera, uh, a lot of these are very difficult to, um, to uproot and not to, to go on a, a tangent, which I'm also good at doing. Uh, back at, uh, at, at, at the Martin Prosperity Institute, we, we, had, um, we had someone who worked there to, to scour with, uh, with a bit of code articles globally that had uh, mentioned the word uh, silicone of something and we compiled them together and then in a in a in a post and in, in a bit of analysis we you know, it was the the ubiquity of 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 siliconias and it was every time a region had said you know we're the silicone of something we're the silicone arctic yeah. we're the silicone this silicone that and then just looked at those indicators i mentioned before whether it's total patents vc dollars gdp San Francisco Bay Area versus the others, and it was you know not not even close. And many regions, as I said before, were trying to replicate the conditions that were in Vancouver, in Toronto, in a lot of these, in, in you know, even Calgary as well. A lot of these conditions that were apparent and still are there um, within the large regions. So, you know, from my perspective, from an economic perspective. The ability to just have a large-scale structural shift where all of that is uprooted, for my opinion, I just don't see uh, enough evidence currently. It's funny. We've talked about that on the program a lot, this idea that when uh, 
when a developer is making a pitch that a city or a region is making a play on tech, um, everywhere is a tech you gotta, center. You got to start digging into. <laughs> you got to dig into the data before you make your investment. I think. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not going to name any obscure cities globally that uh, you you see the pitch or the the, the rendering, and then you do it. <laughs> A bit of digging, and it might not be as it seems. Yeah, yeah. it's like John's computer repair shop or something. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, well, maybe we'll leave it there, Sean. But we do have five quick questions Great. about, uh, yeah, called the Five Wire. Five lighthearted questions that we end the show with. Can you stick around for those? Definitely. Okay. So, first question is. What is your favorite neighborhood? And and I don't know if you spent a lot of time in Vancouver, but if you have a neighborhood you like in Vancouver, we'd love to hear it. But we can also do the Toronto version as well, if you prefer. Uh, no, lots of lots lots of time in uh, in, in Vancouver, and, and post COVID, I'll definitely be spending tons more. Nice. Uh, so. I'll give you two. In, in, in the city, uh, Kitsilano, for sure. Uh, you just can't beat the natural and, uh, and, and build amenities in, in that neighborhood. Uh, and then you know, from, a, from a suburban perspective, uh, Metrotown and, and then Coquitlam uh, from, from Toronto, you know, the, the natural amenities and a lot of the built amenities, quality of life, you know, even from a suburban perspective, you know, it's just fantastic. So Great. Right on. Uh, favorite bar or restaurant when you're in town? Well, once again, I'm going to give you two. Uh, 49th Parallel. Uh, I'm a big, 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 big coffee, uh, maybe not connoisseur, but coffee fan. And I will say, you know, 49th Parallel, best best coffee in the country, uh, hands oh, wow. down. Uh, I, are you yeah, speaking it's, for Quadrio with my... this, or <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 entirely personal? Um, you know, my my wife and I, <laughs> and my wife and I, we even we we order we order the beans to ship to Toronto. So I'm wow. supporting the the business even even here. So it's uh, yeah, 49th Parallel is 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 my place for coffee in Vancouver, and uh, you know, and then I'd say. Uh, Marutama Ramen. You know, Vancouver is a great ramen culture. I'm going to sound like a millennial hipster by saying that, but uh, (laughs) ramen and coffee. How old are you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But that's that's great. Um, we we have the. uh, It's funny because 49th parallels. That's I think they got the lucky donuts there. That's, uh, they do. I, oh, right, yeah, right, those yeah. are amazing. Okay. They do. They do. So that's that's another that's another that's definitely another reason why. Um, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> admittedly, eaten more than I'd like to. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, what is one book you'd recommend everybody read? It's not a new book, but it's one of my favorites, and it's uh, it's Why Nations Fail by Darren Osamoglu and and, and James uh, Robinson. Uh, Darren Osamoglu, economist uh, out of the states, is is one of the best, and it's a great uh, it's a it's a great 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 read. Oh, why nice. nations so fail? Why, why, Sale? Uh, fail? Yeah, why fail? Nations, fail. Why, <laughs> okay. why why nations fail? Despite the title, you know, there's, <laughs> there's say, a lot of positives <laughs> to take to take out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I don't know how I misheard that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's a book about a book about voting, book about England. Yeah, about, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
it's a, it's not a, a current book. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, what is one piece of advice that you'd give your 18 year old self? Travel more. Perfect. And, and the final question, Sean, um, what is something that you've purchased for under $1,500 that has changed your life in the last few years? This, this will tip the scale in the opposite direction from coffee and ramen. Uh, I, I'm, I'm frugal, but you know, the two are a Vitamix blender. Oh, nice. And, 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 uh, and an air purifier by, by my, my at-home workstation. So oh, okay. Those are the, those are and the you theory. actually notice a change in like the air purifier actually, you notice a, a change with that? I do. I do. Uh, smells, air quality, et cetera. The CBC marketplace, not to give them a plug, did a, did a great uh, piece with engineers at a, at a U of T and recommended a bunch for folks, depending on the size of your workspace and some of the things to look for. And uh, the second I saw that went out and, Grabbed one right away, and it's uh, definitely made a made a big, big, big change for the for the work from home environment. Wow! You know, I'm I'm shocked that we haven't had the Vitamix on here yet in the last five years. Really? Yeah. You know what's crazy is it, we bought a Vitamix about eight years ago. We use it every day, several times a day. The thing, it works like like the day we bought it. Like never had had an, had an issue. It's 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 also our new sponsor. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 you know, haven't had it that long. Best, uh, you know, probably the best appliance we've, uh, we've purchased. Yeah. That's a great, fantastic. One. Another, another work from home comfort. Yeah. No for kidding. Sure. No kidding. Sean, how can people find out more about what you're doing and uh quadrille? I would direct everyone, you know, to quadrille's website, uh, have a fantastic, uh, fantastic website that, that outlines not only our, our portfolio across Canada, but you know, more information on our international portfolio, what we're doing, some of our major developments, uh, you know, some great uh, great pieces on you know the post, the, the the office building within Vancouver as well. So I direct folks directly to uh, Quadrio's website, and then and myself, you know, uh, LinkedIn is is the best. Uh, I'm not active on any social media other than <laughs> other than LinkedIn, which might also come as a surprise. So that's kind of my <laughs> kind of my go-to. <laughs> right on. Well, thank, thanks so much, Sean, for your time. Uh, I think we went long there, but a fascinating conversation. Um, yeah, we'll have to have you back if you have the time. That was great. Definitely. Well, thank you both for, for having me. Much appreciated. It was, uh, it was great. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Quad Reels, Sean Gilligan. Really enjoyed that conversation with Sean, Matt, and uh, I am also a fan of Canadian real estate. I love that answer that he was a fan of Canadian real estate. Oh, man. When and you think about you know, Canadian real estate in general, it's just, how could you not be a fan? Yeah, no, he, he had me convinced, that's for sure. Uh, also, um, just thinking back, we talked to him a few days ago, but his book choice why, why nation sale? Oh yeah. So that was that was me mishearing. But man, I uh, we we talked about oh, it right. after. Like like he he said it was an older book, and so my mind went to the to like the 17th century. Um, but why nation sale? Conquest. You can, you can gold. Yeah, yeah exactly. gold <laughs> treasure. Anyways, yeah, we're still we're still laughing about that. Hopefully, somebody else out there enjoyed that as well. But uh, what else do we got before we cut for the day? 
What else do we have? We have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Yes. This is our website where all things real estate live. Head over to VancouverRealEstate.com for things like the Live Wire. This is our weekly newsletter with the incentive button. We got stats going out before everyone else. We got deal of the month. These deals, though, the problem is they sell in four days. Yeah. Uh, you it's know, hard to keep up. It's hard to keep up. A deal, one deal a month it just doesn't, to... uh, doesn't cut it. Yeah. But it's still, uh, we put out really solid deals when they emerge. And last but not least, we have that spring listing incentive on there. And we also have private client services. And Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor-level information. It's free. It's available on our site, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is the tool you want to have if you're looking for real estate in Vancouver. It's also the tool you want to have set up if you want to know what your neighbors are selling for. Um, Even if you're not in the market to list this year, uh, which it is a great time to list. But if you're staying put and you just want to know what stuff is selling for around you, give us a call. We can set you up with that. It is free and it is uh, no obligation service. No so. obligation service, or you can sign up on Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. Dot com. Last but not least, we are hiring. We got to say it again, info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. If you are about to get your real estate license or you have your real estate license and you're looking to join a dynamic working environment with some real estate some nerds, some top producing real estate nerds, yes. uh, definitely get in touch. Send your resume to info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And if you're hearing this and are totally satisfied with where you're at, whether you're a realtor or not, and you know somebody you think might benefit from joining a team, please let them know. Uh, we'd like to keep it in the VREP community if we can. Of course. And if you want to hear, and if you want to talk about that or anything else, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also have that secret line info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We've got some great guests coming up. Uh, today's episode with Sean Gilligan was fantastic. We've also got Brian Yu from Central One Credit Union. The new chief economist. The new there. chief economist. And who else do we got coming up? Todd got- Talbot. Todd Talbot. Todd Talbot reemerges on the show. TT. For- TT, it's uh, it, it was great talking to him. There are some fantastic episodes coming up, so uh, stay tuned for the coming weeks. And thanks for listening. Have a good week, guys. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just 
feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Konkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. 